Uh, and we're continuing our series in the book of Ecclesiastes um, that we're calling The Search for Meaning. Um, this book has wisdom for us today, wherever we're coming from and whatever we make um, of Jesus. Um, and today in that series, we're thinking about the search for meaning in pleasure. The search for meaning in pleasure. Today's passage starts with the words, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Now, my suspicion is that, that not many of us, or perhaps any of us, have ever said those words to ourselves, or actually anything to that effect. Perhaps not many of us have deliberately set out to test ourselves with pleasure, to, to build our lives on getting as much pleasure as we can, on feeling as good as we can. In fact, I wonder if um, some of us this afternoon might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, I know there are some, I certainly know people who live for pleasure. I could tell you about what they get up to. But that's not me. After all, I'm a Christian. Well, I think that, that many of us sitting here this afternoon do know what it's like to want just a bit more. To want just a bit more pleasure in our lives. You know, we don't, we don't want to eat out every night. We just like to be able to order a takeaway that just a bit more often without worrying about the cost. Right? We, we, we don't want, you, don't, you know, you don't want hundreds and hundreds of dresses to choose from. You just want just that bit more variety when you open your wardrobe. We're really good, I think, at convincing ourselves that if we had just a bit more, then finally something would click. Finally our lives would feel full of, of life and joy and we'd be raring to go each morning, excited to get out of bed. If only we just had that, just that bit more. And, and, and the world around us eggs us on in thinking that way. Um, I read this week that on, the av- on an average 45-minute London commute, I'm assuming this thinking tube, you see 130 different ads. Each one of those ads designed to make you think that that, right there, is the missing piece in my life. That's the thing. If I had that, it would all click. Or perhaps, more and more, we actually, where do we mainly see ads? We're scrolling through our, our social media feeds, and the reality is that every single ad is targeted at you based on what they know you have looked at and what they know you have bought. Saying, you, you bought that, didn't you? Do you, want, do you want just that as well? Just a bit more. And God has given us this passage, this part of Ecclesiastes, this part of his word, to help us not to get sucked in by that. It reveals the truth to us about pleasure, what it can do and what it can't. And the way it reveals that truth to us is through an experiment. That's the first thing we see as an experiment. Solomon conducts an experiment when it comes to pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, page 670. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And before we dive into the details of Solomon's experiment, I want us to see why this is so helpful for us. Because you see, the thing is, our pursuit of pleasure, our search for pleasure, is limited all the time by our resources, right? There's only so much that we can afford. There's only so much that we can actually 
exert power and get our hands on. And so, and so we always can wonder, right? Well, you know, I know that this hasn't really filled that gap, but, but if I could afford one of those, maybe that would do the job. If I could get my hands on that, we're always left wondering. But Solomon doesn't have to wonder. Verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing, nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So when it comes to pleasure, he has been to the very end of the road. He's done it all. He's not going to die wandering. So we might think, look, I, look I'd, just like a, I'd just like a pint or maybe two at the end of a long week to take the edge off things. But I'm not sure I can afford a round anymore if I go out with the guys after work. Verse 3, Solomon says, I tried uh, cheering myself with wine. He's a king. We can assume it's pretty good wine. And we can safely assume he tried lots of it. In 2 Chronicles, uh, we're told that Solomon had at least 600,000 bottles in his cellar. We might think, look, if only I had a garden, just like a little, I'm not talking you a pad, I'm a little patch of greens to call my own, or even if I only had a decent view, if only I could look out and actually see a tree, rather than just another building, that would make all the difference. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects, Solomon writes. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Solomon doesn't have to save up for a decade to have a shot at a house that you might be able to see the park if you squint out of the bathroom window. He just builds the palace and then builds the parks and the gardens next to them. Whatever he wants. We think, look, yeah, I know, I know my phone is fine, right? But have you seen the camera on that new one? Have you seen it? Look at the quality on that. That would be like, I could literally have like professional standard photos of my entire life. But I, I don't know if I can afford that contract for the next 24 months and the gym membership. Look at verse 7. Solomon says, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Solomon never chooses. He just says, yeah, I'll have both. Every time. I'll have both. I'll have it all. I've got to, I've got, I'll have everything. We think, oh, look, I live in London, but I never actually get to do London things, you know. Like, I'd love to go to the West End and see a musical. I loved it. I loved Les Mis when I went, and I'd love to go again, but the tickets are so expensive. Have a look at verse 8. Solomon says, I acquired male and female singers. He just buys the musical, brings it home. You can listen every night. Right, I've finished dinner. It's time for Les Mis again, right? We think, oh, if only I was married. Or bluntly, we think, oh, if, only I, if only I was having sex. Right, look, I, look I, I know all the chat, I've heard, I've heard it all about the fact that intimacy with God is great and there's lots of joy and friendship and all that stuff, but, like, but sex is where it's at, isn't it? We live in a culture that has, is built on that, built on that idea, right? Sigmund Freud said this, he wrote of man's discovery that sexual love afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction 
and in fact provided him with the prototype of all happiness. That's not a very plausible claim that it's the prototype of all happiness, but we have built a culture on that. We've gone for that hook, line, and sinker. How do we sell anything sex? It's the prototype of all happiness. Verse 8 tells us that Solomon had a harem, or in other translation, concubines. In 1 Kings, we find out that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. We think sex is going to fill us up. Solomon had a 1,000 women to choose from every night. So whatever path of pleasure draws you in, wherever you feel like, oh, if I could have just a bit more, Solomon's had that more. And more, and more, and more, and more, and more. He's been there, he's done it, he's got the t-shirt. And God wants us to know what he found. God wants to know what he found. So, so that's the experiment. What's next? What's the results? That's how experiments work. I'm not a scientist, but I think that's right. You do the experiment, then you collect the results. And, and there are two key results from Solomon's experiment. Good news and bad news. We'll go good news first, all right? So good news first Look at verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. The good news is that pleasure brings delight. Pleasure brings delight. In the moment, it brings joy. It brings happiness, right? As Solomon drank nice wine and built beautiful gardens and collected the treasures of kings and listened to glorious music, his heart took delight. That was his reward. Right? And we know this is true. We know this is true. Drinking a cold beer at the end of a long hot day is delightful. Watching the breeze rustle uh, uh, the leaves of a tree uh, by the edge of the water is delightful. Listening to a song or a piece of music that we love, that, that gets at us somewhere inside, is delightful. And Ecclesiastes says that that pleasure, that delight, that joy in the moment, is a gift of God. It's a gift from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. Sorry, I'm just turning, okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, you don't have to tell me, but Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 19. Uh, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their life, in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Delight, joy, pleasure, gladness of heart, these things are a gift of God. And when we see that, when we receive these earthly pleasures as gifts from God, we don't have to feel guilty about enjoying them, about taking pleasure in them, right? We have this saying, don't we, oh, it's my guilty pleasure, right? I wonder, if, as Christians, do you ever, if you're a Christian, do you ever sometimes feel like all your pleasures are guilty pleasures? Like it's somehow dishonoring God to actually enjoy anything, really, that the whole world should be ashes in your mouth, right? Wrong. It's a gift from God. Now look, look, some pleasures are sinful. Let's be clear. Some pleasures are wrong and God says that is off limits. That is not, not allowed. 
But throughout Ecclesiastes, we're told to enjoy food and drink, a good day's work well done, the pleasures of life, as a gift from God. They're good things. Of course they are. They were made by a good God. And so we'd have to feel guilty about delighting in the world that God has made. That's the good news. Pleasure brings delight. But here's the bad news. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. Look with me at verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Yet, when I surveyed, when I stepped back and looked at all that my hands had done and, all what, I, and what I had taught to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon's got to the very end of the road when it, when it comes to pleasure. He's, he's gone to the ends of the earth and he's found that he's got absolutely nowhere. He's gone nowhere. He asks uh, back in verse 2, uh, what does pleasure accomplish? Answer, nothing. Nothing was gained under the sun. There's no gain in pleasure. It doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't get you anywhere. Because it's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Uh, last week I mentioned that that word meaningless, the literal uh, translation of the Hebrew word is like vapor or breath or smoke. I think that's such a good picture of what, it is, what our experience of pleasure is like. It is real and it's there and then it's gone. You can't get it back. You can't hold on to it and, and, and like keep it. It just flows away. You wake up in the morning and the, the bottle of wine you shared with a friend last night was, was pleasurable at the time. It brought you delight. But, but right now, you've just got a headache. You're watching a beautiful sunset and, and finally the moment comes where the sun dips below the horizon and, and the sky loses all of its colour and, and you, you don't want it to be over but you know there's absolutely nothing you could do to bring it back and pull it up. You come to the point where even you have to acknowledge that you have played that song too many times. Pleasure doesn't last. That's the bad news. And the problem, the problem is that when you bring those two things together, right, the good news that pleasure delights and the bad news that pleasure doesn't last, well, that combination can turn toxic. That can turn into addiction, right? You, you, you want, again, that moment of lightness, that, that sense of peace, and so you have another glass of wine, and maybe another one. And soon you find yourself saying, look, I just, I just need a couple of glasses of, wine to un, to, glasses of wine to unwind at the end of a long week. I just, I just need it. You want that buzz, that rush, that release of sexual tension again, and so you go back to your phone... You look at porn again, and shame and desire are so horribly mixed together that you feel sick and you can't stop all at the same time. See enough, it's happening every night. You want, again, the delight of pulling on a new top before you go out. Or opening a new book, and so you end up just ordering things off the internet again and again and again and again and again. You look at your Amazon order history and you're like, oh my goodness, look at that. So many things. You're thinking about buying a house, and so you start spending a bit of time each day looking at right move or Zoopla, it's just sensible. And, but then it's so nice to leave your actual life behind 
And imagine, what would it be like if I lived here? How great would that be? And before long, you find yourself spending every spare moment, every break at work, dreaming, searching. If pleasure didn't delight, it wouldn't be addictive. You'd just leave it alone. If pleasure lasted, it wouldn't be addictive. You'd be satisfied. But Solomon's done his, done his experiment, and the results are in. Pleasure delights, but it doesn't last. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, it's not to give up entirely on pleasure, to try to reject pleasure, to cut it out as a motivating force in our lives. That will not work because God has made us pleasure-seeking creatures, desiring creatures. We will search for pleasure and delight, regardless of what we're trying to do with our conscious minds. That's not the solution. Instead, the solution is to look to the one who promises us eternal pleasure. To look to the one who promises eternal pleasure, because that is exactly what God promises us if we put our trust in Christ. If we unite ourselves to him. Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist writes, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. Uh, the word translated that joy there is the same word translated pleasure in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You will fill me with pleasure in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's promise. This is God's promise to each one of us that if we trust in Jesus, that when he returns to live among us, when he makes all things new, when we get to see Jesus face to face, we'll be filled with joy. We'll have eternal pleasures in the presence of our maker and our saviour. And you might say to me, well, okay, I can't imagine that. I can't, get, I can't start to get my head around that. Well, come with me and let's listen together um, to St. Anselm, the 11th century uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, perhaps an unlikely source of help, but here we go. He said this, if there are many great delights in delightful things... Of what kind and how great is the delight in him who made these same delightful things? See, we're going from the letter to the greater, so come with me. Here's how we do it. We say, okay, let's think of what are the earthly delights that you love. Could be a cold drink. Could be the sense you get when you finish a run. Could be um, the sight, uh, the way that the light dapples through a tree. Could be the sound of it. Whatever it is, try and bring that to mind, that thing. That earthly pleasure. Try and bring to your heart what it feels like, the joy in the moment that you have. Okay, all of those, all of those are are reflected joys. They're reflected pleasures. Like, Like moonlight, they're secondary. They don't have it in themselves. They're just reflecting it, right? But, but when we get to see God, when, when we're in his presence, 
when Jesus returns, that is true joy. That is true delight. That is true pleasure. That is glorious sunshine. It's not reflected. It's, fir- it's, it's that much brighter, that much more powerful. The kind of pleasure or joy that would, would burst our unresurrected hearts. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. The reality is that in the meantime, in this life, we will still feel the pull. Every day we'll feel the pull of just a bit more. Maybe just a bit more. We, we may still struggle with addiction of one kind or another. But the reality is that we don't have to fool around with drink or sex or whatever else. We don't have to keep on trying, seeing if just a bit more or just a bit more will finally do the trick. We can relax and enjoy what God has given us. Because we won't die wandering. Instead, when we die, we'll be raised to a life of infinite and everlasting joy. And we can taste something of that joy now by the power of the Spirit. Psalm 16, verse 11 again. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Today, By the power of the Spirit, we can come into the presence of God. And so taste something of the joy and the pleasure that will be ours in eternity. This is more more than just reading your Bible. Of course, that helps. This is more than just praying. Of course, that helps. This is more than just coming to church. Of course, that helps. This is consciously coming into the presence of the living, triune, eternal God who made all things, sustains all things, has come in the person of his son to die on the cross that we might enjoy all things and life with him forever. And he's here by the power of the Spirit. This is in the quiet of whatever room it is that you take time in the morning before your day starts opening your eyes to the reality that God is there. The triune God is there. It's stopping on the the doorstep at the end of a long day before you go back into your flat or your house and saying, God's here. He's here with me. It's coming to church each week and opening our, our, our eyes to the reality that God has promised that he is with us to build us together into a spiritual temple where he is dwell, he's going to dwell. It's coming and receiving the Lord's Supper, tr- knowing that, that Christ is present, that he's feeding us, delighting us as we take bread and wine together. And in all of those things, we then can pause. You know, like, you know when you're walking home and suddenly you look up and you realise that the sky is one of those skies? That it's pink and you hadn't even noticed. Or when you stop because you, you just, you've got to hear the end of that song. You've got to let the melody come to its, you've got to let it land. Why 
Well, in the same way, we can pause and say, God's here. And enjoy it. Enjoy him. We'll be doing it for eternity. We can enjoy him with us by his spirit. Now, in this life, that pleasure of the presence of God, of enjoying him, though deeper and sweeter and truer than any other, that pleasure will come and go. The spirit blows where he wills. It will come and go like the wind. But I can stand here and promise you that one day, if you trust in Christ, take that, that moment, that split second's too big, that moment where you where, where the deepest joy of the sweetest pleasure, no longer will it come and go. Instead, it will just unfurl into a glorious forever. That's the promise of God. I can't wait. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. All creation sings of your goodness. The glory of the sunshine, the beauty of a blue sky. The birds sing of your goodness. Father, by your grace and in your mercy, set us free from always thinking just a bit more would do the trick. Would we instead enjoy and take pleasure and delight in what you give us today, this moment, this hour. Safe in the knowledge that you'll fill us with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen.